0: Welcome to Bill's Church of Gurney podcast. This week, we start in our Advent series, God Come For Us. The name of this sermon is called More Than a List, and Pastor David will be preaching from Matthew 1, through 1-17. Let's join Pastor David now. Well, we are in this Advent series starting today, God Come For Us. And that is the trajectory of our Savior's heart, the first missionary, if you will, who pursued and loved us. And this is what we are reflecting on as our God uh, come for us, both as we we remember His first coming, imagining what it would have felt like, and also as we wait for His second coming as He is returning again. So, to guide our thoughts today, uh, meet me in Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, chapter 1. Today we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 17. Matthew chapter 1. 1 through 17. And if you're using the Bible in the uh, chair in front of you, it's on page 959, Matthew chapter 1. Let me read this passage for us uh, today. Matthew 1, starting in verse 1, says, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob. Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron. Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amminadab. And Amminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab. And Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David, the king. Continuing on in verse 6, and David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, Abijah the father of Asaph, Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, verse 10. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, Manasseh, the father of Amos, and Amos, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers, at the time of the deportation to Babylon, verse 12. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel, the father of Abiad, and Abiad the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim, the father of Azor. Azor, the father of Zadok, and Zadok, the father of Akim, and Akim, the father of Eliad, and Eliad, the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar, the father of Mathen, and Mathen, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So, all the generations (laughs) from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. Nothing quite spreads Christmas cheer like reading lists of unknown names for all to hear. (laughs) Uh, If you zoned out during the reading, it's okay. Welcome back. We're in an Advent series. We just read the genealogy of of Jesus. Oh, and these these are the passages, aren't they, that um, we kind of skim over? (laughs) The ones where, uh, you know, we read through uh, name after name. The the passages that when it comes time, families with little ones in their Christmas jammies and hot chocolate, and everyone's uh, huddled around the tree, and they're waiting to open presents, and mom and dad say, let's read the Christmas story. This is the passage you don't give to your kindergartner to read. You'll be there till next Christmas before it gets done. It and sometimes <laughs> reading the lists, the lists, uh, feels like you're a guest at someone else's graduation ceremony. You don't know anyone who's there. Could there be something more boring? Maybe not. And you listen to name <laughs> after name. After unknown name, after unknown name, and periodically there's a burst of cheers uh, uh, rebelling against the announcement to wait for the applause till the end. A burst, oh, someone knew that name, but you are a guest. You don't know anyone. Name after name after name after name after name is read. Sometimes the lists kind of feel this way, don't they? But I think as we go through, I think as you look through, perhaps skim back through, you might know a few of these names. Do you recognize some of them? Uh, Verse 1, do you remember Abraham? He's in this list. He appears in verses 1 and 2 in this genealogy. Son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Do you remember his story, Abraham? He was called Abram. His wife, Sarai, God changed their names and made a covenant with Abraham. As many as the stars in the sky, imagine that metaphor, so shall your offspring be that Abraham would be blessed to be a blessing, that from him, Father Abraham, who had many sons... That from his genealogy, from his offspring and their offspring and their offspring and so on and so forth, a great nation would be born, the nation of Israel. And from Abraham, a, a descendant would come, a seed of Abraham that all of the Old Testament was anticipating. This descendant, this seed would be the one that would crush the serpent's head, though that serpent would strike his heel. This is Father Abraham He's in this list. This is also the same Abraham. Remember, he had a couple of low points in his journey. Twice, uh, when encountering the the ruler, the king of the land, he actually lied about his wife's identity to to kind of try to save his own neck, kind of plotting and scheming this way of saying, hey, we're going to meet someone big and powerful and important. My life might be at risk. If they know that you're my wife, remember the scene? Twice it happens, almost copy and paste, the same thing. He says, hey, let's say you're my sister. That way I'll be okay. You might kind of wonder how Sarah felt about this whole plan. This was Abraham. Also the same Abraham that, remember, God had promised that they would have A son, Isaac, you see him in this genealogy so closely connected. Abraham was the father of Isaac. And in those six words, much took place in the waiting for that son, Isaac. There was a season where Abraham and Sarah were growing impatient. They knew that God had promised a son, but they were waiting and waiting and waiting way past the years of childbirth. And they thought maybe there's a... uh, a roundabout. Maybe there's a runaround that we can do in, in, in somewhat a surrogate impatience. Abraham and Sarah went along with this idea that they concocted that perhaps the descendant would come through Hagar. It wasn't God's design. It was not God's plan. This is the Abraham. The Abraham. He's in this list. He's included in this genealogy of Jesus Christ. You'll notice another name, I, I think, very, very quickly. Again, in verse 1 uh, and also in verse 6, David. That this is the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. Jump down to verse 6. Jesse, the father of David, the king. And David was the father of Solomon, and so on and so forth. The list goes. David, this is King David. The one, uh, the, the one after God's own heart. David, who has written many of the Psalms, King David, the one that God made a covenant with, the Davidic covenant, that a, a, a king that would come, that his kingdom would have no end. And we see both that Abraham and David, these, these two in some ways giants in, in redemptive history because of God's commitment and covenant and promise to them that Abraham would be blessed to be a blessing. A descendant would come from King David. His, his reign and rule would have no end through the descendant, the king that would come after him in his line and his genealogy. This is David, but you all know very well, this is also the King David It had some pretty significant shortcomings as an understatement. We see a glimpse of that season of his life in the second half of verse 6. David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. Some of you know the story well. 2 Samuel 11 and 12. Where unfortunately, David, King David, uh, orchestrated a murder of Uriah is an attempt to try to cover up an adulterous affair with Bathsheba, Uriah's wife. This King David is in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. He is in the line. He is in the lineage. And we see both of these men, Abraham and David, profoundly used by God, yet deeply flawed, frail, broken, sinful themselves, and at the same time that they are used by God, they are desperate in need of God's grace, His mercy, His compassion, which they saw, which they uh, received, which they sensed throughout their life, to people like you and like me, broken, frail, with shortcomings and sin, that we need the grace of our God. Both of these men are in this list, Abraham and David. You're also going to see, in, in really these opening six verses, you're going to see um, four different ladies as well. Now, this would have been uncommon. Often genealogies uh, included uh, the men, the patriarchs. This was just how ancient genealogies worked. That's how you would map and know your family tree. And in the ancient world, and in many other parts of the world today, a genealogy, who you come from, your pedigree, is really important. I mean, it determines in some ways social status. It determines in some ways your economic standing. It determines in some ways how you navigate your society and your world. And genealogy was everything. This was an identity marker that that all of God's people, it's just a massive family tree, isn't it? As we go through the Old Testament times. And genealogy was really important. And, well, almost always it would have been just the men that would have been included. Yet here we see four Ladies, you see their names. Verse three. Tamar, Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, by Tamar. Now Tamar had a has a hard story, a difficult story, one that can be in some ways gut wrenching to read and to see. You can check it out later in Genesis chapter thirty eight. That Tamar is included in this list. She had twins, Perez. Zerah by Judah. Now, Judah was Tamar's father-in-law. And unfortunately, we see uh, uh, brokenness, that this is a heavy and, and sad story, that this was an incestual relationship. And though broken, though in need of God's grace, Yet she is profoundly used by God and included in this genealogy. See the grace in that. See the honor in that. Tamar, she's included in this list. You're also going to see Rahab, verse 5. You see her there? Uh, Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab. Now, some of you might know her story very well. Joshua chapter 2 is this iconic uh, story as God's people are entering the land, and they're spying it out. This is the land that God has given to His people, and they're going to go check it out for the rest of the book to enter the land. And the spies go in early. Remember the story? And they meet Rahab, and she is famously known as Rahab the prostitute. Yet she shows loyalty to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. She shows loyalty to Yahweh, to God, our triune God, and she conceals and hides these spies and helps out God's sovereign purpose as he is unfolding it throughout the book of Joshua. And in that act of loyalty and faith and trust, and she's, she's a Gentile. She's not an Israelite. She would have been considered an outsider, and yet here she is showing loyal love to the true God of the universe, She and her family are spared, and God shows tremendous loyalty to her. She's in this list, and she would have known perhaps most of her life what it would have felt like to have um, shameful glances, what it would have felt like to be um, ridiculed or put down. The nature of her profession would have been scandalous, outsider, seen as an object, seen as property, seen as a commodity, something to be bought and sold. Yet she's in this list, included and honored in this incredible genealogy of the coming of our Messiah. Do you see her in this list? There's other ladies in this list. You're also going to find Ruth, verse 5, Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth. Certainly some of you know her story very well. There's a whole book in the Old Testament dedicated to God's providential work in and through her life and her family's life. And this was a season in the book of Ruth Ruth, where the genealogy, the lineage of, of God's sovereign work was at a serious threat. And here we see Ruth in her, in her loyalty to Naomi, and we see Ruth, the recipient of God's providential grace, and Boaz entering the life and, and, and carrying on the, the kinsman redeemer through which the lineage would, would see her through. She's in this list. Now, Ruth would have known uh, somewhat of a, a, a triplet experience of being an outsider, uh, triply, um, quote-unquote, othered, if you will. Not only was she a woman, she was a Gentile. And not only was she a Gentile, she was a Moabite. And in the ancient world, uh, people she would have known the tone of voice that people used when they said Moabite. There would have been a hard M on that phrase. The people of Moab, you can uh, look back in Genesis chapter 19, and we see that... Uh, the, from the very beginning, this is Lot's incestuous lineage, that the entire people, the Moabite people who came from Moab were from Lot's incestual relationship with his daughters. Genesis uh, chapter 19, this is sobering, hard story, and Ruth would have been of this lineage, so you could imagine, you could imagine, oh, you're a Moabite. Ruth would have known that tone of voice, Ruth would have known what it felt like to be pushed far to the fringes, to be underappreciated or unseen, to be mocked, um, to be excluded, yet here she is in this list, providentially used by God, someone perhaps her whole life would have not really felt like she fit in, someone who is looked down upon. Yet God in His sovereignty, God in His grace has so chosen Ruth. She's in this list to be included, to see the lineage of the coming of the Messiah, the King of Kings, would come through her. She's included. What an honor. Do you see her there, Ruth? And you're also going to see Bathsheba. And you actually have to scratch at the surface a little bit to find her, because in verse 6, we actually don't see her name, but we see in verse 6, David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and of course, she is Bathsheba, and she would have known loss. She would have known the loss of a husband through murder. She would have known the loss of a child. She would have known the loss of a marriage. Uh, she would have known an incredible pain, a ripple effect, challenge, difficulty. The ripple effect that we see from 2 Samuel 11 and 12 all the way through the rest of that book. Yet here she is, included by the loving, gracious, sovereign God in this genealogy. And we see both with, with Abraham and David and these four ladies Who would have, and these four ladies, all of them were Gentiles, all of them surrounded uh, in their story is this kind of shroud or hint of of scandal. Broken people, broken people, yet profoundly used by God, recipients of His grace, and included in the very genealogy of the coming of, of, of our King. Do you see them there? And I'm getting ahead of the story a little bit, but all four of these ladies, Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba, they're not the last woman in this list. They wouldn't be the last woman in the Messianic lineage who would have known what it felt like to be shrouded by seeming scandal, misunderstood, yet profoundly, profoundly used by God in this Advent story. See these names in these first six verses and see that our king comes through broken people. Like you and like me. Isn't that a comfort? That our king has come to us through broken, needy, frail people. And he's come for broken people. As that song that we sang before the message, Christ has come for you. The weak, the unstable, the weary, the barren, the longing, fears unspoken, anxieties. God has come through a lineage of broken people for broken people people. Look again at this list. You're going to notice some other names. You're going to notice some kings who are also in this list. Verse uh, 7, Rehoboam. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, and then so on and so forth. Rehoboam uh, was, was a pretty rough guy. Essentially, he overtaxed his people in some ways to fund a licentious life and he overtaxed his people to the extent that they revolted and the kingdom divided because of it. You can check out his story in 2 Chronicles 11 and 1 Kings 12. I mean, he was kind of brutal on his people, and there was a revolt, and the kingdom divides. There's another name in this list, Manasseh, verse 10. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh, the father of Amos, and so on and so forth. You might remember his story actually just a few weeks ago, We looked at his story. In uh, 2 Chronicles 33, it's also an account of his story in the kings. And if if Manasseh, as we said when we covered that message, if Manasseh wasn't the worst king, he was vying for, you know, the top five positions, he was pretty brutal. I mean, basically everything that God told his people not to do, Manasseh did, (laughs) God said, don't go this way. Manasseh said, okay, I'm going that way. God said, don't do this. Manasseh said, okay, I'm going to do that. And not only did he lead God's people away from God in direct disobedience, in, in sorcery, in idolatry, uh, in, in in raising up places of idol worship, in, in engaging in, in child sacrifice. I mean, it's a rough story. You can check it out. Manasseh led... God's people completely in the other direction, away from God. Yet we see, remember, in 2 Chronicles 33, Manasseh hits a low point in his life. God brings him on his own personal exile. He repents. He humbles himself. He seeks the Lord. God restores him, and then he starts this trajectory of leading God's people back toward God. It's an incredible message of grace, of God's mercy and long-suffering and forgiveness. He's in this list, Manasseh. You're going to see another name, Josiah, verse 11, Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And Josiah was, he was all right. He was all right. Uh, He he was, in some ways, is famously known for um, two things. That he not only rediscovered the scriptures who had kind of uh, uh, got buried away and and overseen and and, and not used. He rediscovered the scriptures but also reinstituted the Passover celebration after a long season. It had kind of gone to the wayside. This was Josiah. He's in this list. And this is only three names of many other kings. And as you go through each one of these kings, you're going to realize that they're kind of on a, a continuum. Some of them were kind of good. They're all right. And then others were pretty bad, bad, very bad, horrible, or even worse than that. <laughs> and perhaps that was the marker of their leadership, these kings, or maybe there were seasons of their life where they landed on different parts of this continuum. And it led all the way to a period of exile, verse 11 at the time of the deportation to Babylon, verse 12, after the deportation to Babylon. This is a season of exile, that things got so bad that God had to take his people on somewhat of a redemptive timeout, if you will, somewhat of a redemptive detour, that through exile and through restoration, sanctification, purification, that God is refining his people through this season of exile. Do you see these names are included in this list, and by the reality that they're in this list, appreciate and see God's sovereignty, His mercy, His long-suffering with, with stubborn people, with people that God says, hey, go this way. We say, okay. Or, or, or when God says, hey, do this. We say, nah, I'm going to do that. I mean, we start to read this list, and we start to see the stories of these kings, and we realize it's reading our story, isn't it, and see how, though God brings them to and through exile, this kind of sanctifying, redemptive, purifying moment of His people, they're still His people. They're still His Bought, chosen, loved. See God's loving, sovereign pursuit that at ev- basically every reign of every king, you almost get a sense as you're reading through the book of Kings and Chronicles that you're on, you're on the edge of your seat every time. Is the kingdom going to totally dissolve and everything is just going to completely fall apart? Yet, God sees His sovereign purpose forward. And we see from these names that uh, sometimes God comes in spite of us. Sometimes he comes in spite of us. And after we reflect on seasons like those in our life, we're just flooded and overwhelmed by his mercy and his grace. How many times in my life that I have looked back and said, Lord, that was stupid of me to say or, or, or to do, yet you showed me mercy. And I thank you for that. These names are in this list. There's going to be some more names in this list. Look at verses 13 to 15. Let me read these again. Zerubbabel, the father of Abiad; Abiad, the father of Eliakim. Eliakim, the father of Azor. Azor, the father of Zadok. Zadok, the father of Akim. Akim, the father of Eliud. And Eliud, the father of Eleazar. And Eleazar, the father of Mathen. And Mathen, the father of Jacob. Now, if you don't recognize most of these names, you're actually in good company. Uh, There's one commentator that said, most of the names in verses 13 to 15 are virtually unknown to us. We don't even know who they are. Eh, Forgotten by us, anonymous to us, but not forgotten or anonymous to God. I I find something comforting about this list of unknown, (laughs) truly unknown names now, we basically know nothing about them, yet these are people with families and, and, and joys and struggles and ups and downs and people that, that God had seen His sovereign plan through their life, and we basically know nothing about them. Isn't there a grace in that? Isn't there a comfort in that? That God can work through unknown people, my friends, like you and like me, That he quietly sees his sovereign purpose, even if it's not flashy, even if your name is never in the lights, even if you're never well-known, yet God sees his purpose and his plan through you, through me, through us, unknown people. And there's actually a couple other names. Of course, now we know them very well, but at the time, they would have been unknown themselves. You see them there in verse 16. Verse 16. Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. Now, at this point in history, Mary and Joseph are very well-known, but my friends, that wouldn't have been the case in their time. Uh, They would have been uh, probably teenagers, most likely, or at the very latest, very, Joseph might have been in his early 20s, I mean, young of an unknown time, and I grew up in an unknown town. Uh, In a period of history, there was no uh, YouTube or social media to make yourself known to the greater world. Unknown people, Mary and Joseph, yet profoundly used by God. Think of their story. They're betrothed, and they have been told that that by the Spirit, uh, Mary the Virgin is with child, Try explaining that at the baby shower. And, 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 and again, shrouded in seeming scandal, seeming scandal, Mary and Joseph would have known what it felt like to receive kind of glances of, of, of wonder. and, Okay, p- explain it one more. What is happening? How are you pregnant? And, and the mis- being misunderstood, and, and imagine, imagine this, the wonder and the confusion of, of a birth that is absolutely uh, wrapped up in God's sovereign, glorious, miraculous wonder. I mean, they're getting this news from angels. I mean, this is incredibly glorious, yet at the same time, very ordinary. Very ordinary. You find a stable to place the child in a place where animals eat. Unknown time, unknown place seemingly shrouded in scandal, yet profoundly used by God. They're in this list. God sometimes comes in spite of us. God comes through broken people, and God comes through unknown people, the unexpected, the underdog, the one that no one's looking at, the one that no one's anticipating, yet God chooses them. He makes eye contact, providentially speaking, and he draws them deep into the heart of his story of sending the Messiah from heaven to earth. All of these names, people that God has given the, 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 a place of honor and, and privilege of being included into his line, not because that they're so wonderful or powerful or great or wise, but just because they have been chosen by the gracious sovereign God to be a part of his work. Do you see these names? Realize and see what God's Word is showing us. Friends, it's not a list of names. It's not just a list of names. It's a lineage of grace. And grace who has come for you and for me. At first glance, you know, we get tripped up. We don't even know how to pronounce them. The trick is just pronounce it with confidence. Then people say, oh, that's how you pronounce it. I didn't know that. <laughs> Little tricks of the trade for you. <laughs> we, we get through it and we get stuck and we don't even know who they are. And, and we haven't even been to, you know, sometimes with Kings and Chronicles, we don't even know their story. Yet we see once we start to look at their stories, once we start to see who they are, we realize it's not just a list of names. It's a lineage of God's providential, merciful, sovereign grace and a grace who has come for you, for us, for me. This is the message of this Advent season as we imagine what it would have felt like to anticipate His first coming, as we long for His second coming. This is the hope, this is the good news that the gospel offers to us. God has come for us. And see how he has come. And when you start to look at these names and know their stories, you start to realize that if God has come from people like these, surely he can come for people like you and me. We start to see their brokenness, their shortcomings, their need, their uh, certainly gusts and moments of, of faith and, 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 and strength in and their trust of God. But spotted through, it's always a mixed bag, isn't it? Every single one of these names, every single one of these, it's a mixed bag. Gusts of faith, yet at the same time, certainly gusts of frailty. And you start to see hey, wait a second. <laughs> I can be a part of that group. If this is the kind of people that God has come from, that means, beloved brother and sister, we are in good company that He can come for people like you and me. And He has. And he extends this grace to you. So I I would encourage you, if this is the heart of the Christ who's come for you, won't you entrust your deepest pains to him? Won't you entrust your deepest moments of shame or guilt or difficulty or challenge? Won't you reach into some of those dark, hard places of your heart that you would be terrified to share with others, entrusting deep parts of your heart, exposing yourself before God, won't you release those to him? He's not surprised by them. He's not disgusted and appalled by you. He's come for you. And he's come to welcome you in. So friends, read the lists. (laughs) Don't skim over them. And even if it takes you a long amount of time, start to get to know their stories because you're going to start to see yourself in it and you're going to start to see God's heart through it. It's not a list. It's a lineage of His grace. Let me pray. Father, I, I just pray, Lord, that you would elevate this season uh, to a, a, a sense of wonder and glory and, and worship. Lord, a season that can very easily be swept up and, and caught up in other things on our hearts and our minds. But Lord, in and through it, I pray that you would infuse in our hearts a sense of wonder that you have come for us. And Father, I, I pray for each and every person who can hear my voice. Lord, would we find ourselves, our name, though not biologically included in this genealogy, Lord, spiritually included in your family tree by faith. And Father, I pray that that this message, that these stories of these people, Lord, would, would dislodge some pain and hurt in our heart, some sin and shame, guilt, Lord, that is weighing us down or tripping us up. Lord, I pray that these stories of your grace would dislodge those, that we might offer them to you, that we might find in our lives freedom and mercy and grace that you offer to us, that you wanted to deliver so personally, Lord, that you came yourself to do it. So, Father, we praise you for that, and we pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Village Church of Gurney's podcast. If you would like to know more about Village Church, you can go to our Facebook page under Village Church of Gurney or go to www.bcgurney.org.